Hi everyone, this is Ari and Heather. We're gonna introduce Research Word to you, which will cover a lot of broad topics that I'm gonna let Heather describe. Hi Ari, we're gonna to cover topics including helping research sites and how to find patients quicker, how to help um, educate patients and also help sponsors on how they can be more effective in helping sites meet their enrollment goals. So everyone, today, on Research Word, we're gonna cover the topic of patient education and the important role it plays at your clinical research site. Uh, the format we're gonna follow is a bit of a Q&A where Heather and I will ask questions of how we perform patient education within our respective businesses, our mind being trial joint and uh, being a patient recruitment service and Heather at <coughs> Heartland Clinical Research, which is a clinical research site. Uh, so we'll give you outlooks from two different types of companies and how we conduct patient education to improve patient improvement and uh, patient retention ultimately. Uh, so I'll start off with a few questions with Heather and her general thoughts on patient education. So how to educate patients, great question. Um, first and foremost, when a patient walks in the door, um, after we give them the informed consent, we really want to sit down and take um, as much time as the patient needs uh, to go over every little detail and actually explain the different terminologies um, that's involved. So, for example, um, the, the informed consent might say random, randomize or randomization. And let's be real, most regular patients do not you know what that means. So it's taking the time to explain that. That's the first step. And just making sure that they're comfortable in what they're reading and that they truly understand um, what they are getting themselves into. Because that's what we want. We want them to know everything on the front end and continue to educate them throughout the trial. So that's the first and foremost thing is right off the bat when you give them that informed consent, educate, educate, educate. That's a great point. Um, there are so many I guess acronyms and terms are used in clinical research that can definitely confuse and scare patients. So it's it's good to kind of from the get-go educate them. Um, one question I do have for you is, you know, is there a way you've systemized that or create a consistent uh, way of educating about certain topics, you know, maybe a printout or a video you make them watch? Here at Heartland, we actually do not have any videos that um, we present to patients um, and the only time we have documents that we can give them is if it is IRB approved for the um, certain study. So how we do that is um, after they read through it, uh, usually it's myself, I go in, talk to the patient right off the bat, ask them if they had a chance to read it before they got to our site, if we emailed it to them and if they had any questions or any family members had any questions for us and then I kind of break it down and go over it. Um, so it's kind of a step-by-step, page-by-page thing, and I kind of put myself in their position and tell them questions that I would normally have if I was in their position or their spot. So it's kind of reverse the roles to get them thinking a little bit outside of their own box, because um, usually what happens is they leave and then they say, oh, I actually did have a question about that, which is great that they'll come back and ask me rather than um, not just kind of put it on the back burner. So that is the first thing. And then usually our PI or sub investigator goes in and talks to them just to make sure that if I didn't answer a question or they are afraid to ask me a question, 
then there's somebody else right behind me um, to answer the question also. Mm, that's, that's actually a great way of approaching it, you know, putting yourself in their shoes. And then one thing I know that you have covered with me on previous phone calls is that you actually got introduced to the clinical research world uh, through a unique way. Um, and I, I was hoping that you could share that with all our listeners. Absolutely. So I've been in research for almost 13 years, and I first was a patient, um, and I did a couple, actu actually I did a couple research studies for various indications um, numerous years ago, and that's when I first realized that I want to be in research. I love what's going on and the knowledge that you gain from it, and so I was able to see firsthand how it works as being a patient rather than being um, the site staff. So that was really interesting. And I learned a lot at that time. Again, that was 13 years ago when I did do the research studies, but that's how I first joined in and I never looked back. Wow. So that's put you in the patient's shoes, uh, not only technically, but in, in real terms. So you truly do understand what's going on with the patients and what they're thinking. So when you ultimately facilitate them asking questions, they were the same questions that you had. Absolutely. So that works out, like I said, to both parties' advantage. Um, I ask them what questions they have, and then I say, how about this? Do you understand this? Do you want me to explain this better? I make sure that maybe they re repeat it back to me. Even simple terms of a placebo, um, you know, day to day, that's obvious what it is. But uh, regular routine patient or person that walks in the door might not have any idea what that means. They might even think that's the actual medication for all we know, unless you actually take the time to explain it. That, those are some good points. Uh, you actually brought something that I have a question about. So when you make the patient repeat something, because I know that's important in helping them retain that knowledge, what specific things or where do you look to get them to repeat the knowledge? Uh, what's, what do you find most important to get them to really digest and, and repeat back to you? So when I'm doing informed consent, I might repeat, um, have them repeat back maybe some side effects uh, that they might experience. And I remind them that at every appointment, I will ask them if they've had any side effects or discomforts or if they've started any new medication. And I kind of give examples um, such as, Let's say you all of a sudden have a head cold and you took some over-the-counter medication. And I say, I want to know about that. Even though it has no relationship, what they think, to the study for, maybe it's an asthma study, um, that they might think, uh, this has nothing to do with it. I really explained to them that I want to know. Um, and same thing when it comes to medication. I'll say, okay, so how do you take this again? And make sure that they say, oh, I take it once a day in the morning with food, et cetera. So really just make sure that they understand what they have to do. I've also had people bring a notebook or a piece of paper, or if not, we have a piece of paper that they can jot down notes. So then it's a lot of information at one time that we give them and we know that. Um, and, and it's kind of overwhelming for them. So then they take the time to write things down so they can always refer back to that if they need to. Mm. Yeah, that idea, I know you shared it with me once before. I, I love the idea of having something available to the patients to jot down notes um, and ultimately refer to later on because we all know 
that we forget things. So it's always important to jot down things and take notes. It's something that my chemistry teacher in fifth grade uh, told me to do. <laughs> so I, I know it's it's important. Um, yeah. So what are other tips that you'd like to share in, in terms of patient education that you think a lot of sites are maybe overlooking or not applying, uh, especially the newer research sites? For newer research sites, shoot, let me think. I would say right off the bat, it's taking the time up front to educate the patient. Um, as we all know, we're busy. We want patients in and out. They want to get in and out. But if you don't educate them on the front end or explain to them what we expect um, and how each visit's going to entail and approximately how long it's going to entail, um, nobody's going to be happy. The, the coordinator's not going to be happy because things aren't going right. The patient's not going to be happy because they're spending way too much time that they thought it'd only take 30 minutes, but it's really taking an hour and 30 minutes. So I would say take the extra time up front um, to educate. I also love the idea that if it's possible, either mail or email the informed consent uh, to the patient before they get there. So then they have a um, a chance to read it before, then you'll present them with a new one, the same exact one, obviously, that was mailed or emailed, but present it to them so they have another chance to review it, sign it in the office, um, because that's that's a big thing, too. So they have potentially two opportunities at two different time points to read it and hopefully catch some new information that they might not have caught the first go around. So that's really important is provide them with the information up front. So they're not shocked or um, shocked or scared about what's going to go on uh, for future appointments. Hmm. That, that's a really good tip, especially for newer research sites. I know informed consent can be uh, kind of a newer process that they're not used to, especially the transitioning from a private practice. Uh, you know, it's a whole new process that they have to get used to, but it's a very important process in clinical research. Uh, so that that's a great tip that you just shared. Um, one thing I, I definitely like to add is, you know, your research sites definitely, you know, walk through, you know, the safeguards of clinical research. Because I know a lot of patients get scared of being a guinea pig in clinical research. So if we can help them ultimately be more understanding of clinical research, all the safeguards that the FDA puts in place. And you can find a lot of language that's been approved by the FDA and is pretty much IRB compliant on clinicaltrials.gov and the FDA's website. So those are uh, tips that I've heard from other research sites uh, in terms of using pre-approved pre language. So that way you're able to share that and you can um, easily get the patients to understand you know, what's keeping them safe ultimately, even though every clinical trial does have you know, its risks and it does have certain side effects. At least they know that it's not some black art that we're just applying and guessing. There actually is a science to it to make sure, you know, they're they're not gonna go through and have hopefully too adverse of an event. You know, we go through many processes such as the phase zero trials which are performed uh, generally on different types of animals or uh, in a lot of computer simulated models. And then we get through phase one, which is done through very small amounts of the medicine with healthy volunteers. And then we progress a little bit further on through phase two, and then so on to phase three. So helping them understand the different phases and different processes that go in place to get to the 
the current stage that they're in will help a patient feel more comfortable and ultimately keep them in the trial longer because the more comfortable they feel about a clinical trial and that they can defend to their friends and peers, uh, that the research studies is actually going to be beneficial for medicine as a whole because it helps us know, you know, what works and what doesn't. So ultimately, you'll keep them in the trial and not get peer pressured out of a trial as well. Yes. And, you know, when, when a patient walks through the door, if I've never seen the patient or the the face is not familiar to me, I always ask them, have you ever participated in a research study? So then, you know, I know right off the bat, you know, if they have, awesome. If they haven't, then I know that, okay, I really got to take a little bit extra time maybe and explain to them. Um, and even if they have, every site is different. Um, so what site A does compared to us is going to be probably really different and that's okay. Um, I just want them to be aware of how we operate and how we do things. Um, even today, I had a patient and I let them know that when we're talking about confidentiality with informed consent, I said, you know, you are known as a participant number and here's your number, okay? So your name does not leave here, but if you want copies of my lab work, my ECGs, anything like that, you can have, but your name is not on here. Because how many times have we given in the past a copy of their labs and they say, well, how do I know this is me? Because my name's not on here. How can I give this to my doctor? So it's little things like that to let them know on the front end what to expect rather than later saying, huh, I'm now I'm really confused because I thought this was mine. How do I know? So little, little things um, really make a big difference, as cliche as that is. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right, especially because the whole aspect of placebos can scare a lot of patients off. But if you help them understand, you know, it, we need a controlled group versus, you know, the, the testing group it really helps them understand, hey, I might have a chance, you know, it's a 50-50 chance that I might get a placebo, but it's helping us as a whole, as a, I guess a population, prove that this medicine works. You know, if we didn't have a control, then we wouldn't know. Uh, and, and also to prevent any, I guess, alteration of the data, that's why we create double-blinded studies, you know, where not only do the patients not know, you know, what they're getting, the physicians administering don't know what they're getting as well. So it's always a double-blinded study. So it's always good to explain those things that really open the eyes of patients of the whole process and allows them to explain to other people and keep spreading the awareness and the knowledge of what clinical research is and how it works. Because that's, you know, my understanding and my belief is that, you know, we don't have enough awareness of clinical research. And by making everyone more educated, it'll, it'll help kind of spread the word. So uh, I know I, over here at Trialgen, we're always trying to, educate people more and more about clinical research. And, and when you have a more educated patient, you have a, a better patient that's going to stay in your studies longer. So that's the number one thing I, I always recommend for sites to do is just educate on, you know, these little aspects that you cough, often would overlook. Yes, I would agree 100% about spreading awareness with um, clinical trials, clinical research, um, because so many people have no idea what it is. Even when I'm, let's say, at my kid's soccer game and they say, well, what do you do? I have to explain it to them. And they say, well, what's that? I'm thinking to myself, oh, gosh, well, this is a perfect opportunity that I can explain it to them and got to give them my 30-second elevator spiel to what 
clinical research is. Um, so it's kind of intriguing to them and they want to know more. And I would say almost nine out of 10 patients will say, will you keep me in mind for another study if I qualify? And I say, absolutely. I'm also not afraid, although it's competition, to give names of other research sites if I know that they're recruiting for a trial that I am not um, necessarily doing or something that we will never do that's not in our spectrum of things that we would um, be successful at. So, and we get a lot of um, people calling about phase one studies that want that um, overnight stays, which we don't do. So I have no problem at all saying, hey, this is the place you need to call. Um, you can look it up. I don't have their number maybe or something like that. But just spreading awareness because you know what, just by me doing that helps out that other site. Is it benefiting me directly? No. Is, will it in the future? Yes, because the more patients we get in these studies, the better off we are all gonna be. So, um, so it's really, really a good thing actually. Ari, I got a question for you. So how you, do you guys at trial join, um, what is your best way to spread awareness, do you think, um, to reach different population of people, to make sure people are actually aware of the trials that are going on? So at trial join, we, we tackle that problem through so many different ways. Uh, one of the biggest ways for us is building a lot of online support groups, which are essentially you know, a mix of websites, uh, mobile applications, social media profiles, where we we educate the public on not only clinical research, but even the condition, you know, different ways to treat their condition. Uh, so we make it a, a holistic tool. So, if, you know, we're uh, trying to educate diabetes patients. We'll make different websites just focused around diabetes. Uh, we'll make social media profiles and pages around diabetes and spread the knowledge. And at the same time, you know, interlace knowledge about clinical research so that way they get slowly educated about clinical research and open up their minds about the opportunities of clinical research and participating because one of the biggest problems out there is that patients don't even know where clinical research trials are or how they can even enroll in one so you know helping them understand that trials exist and they're around them uh, it really helps so it's it's kind of a two-front attack that we do is is educate them on their condition, then also spread out the education of clinical research. So it's, it's sort of a passive way that just permeates the, the web ultimately. Um, in addition to that, once we get them on uh, email list that they subscribe to, we send them videos of different topics that I just mentioned, you know, whether it's about their condition or it's about clinical research. Uh, from there then, you know, as they open up and they open, uh, they're open to the possibility of clinical research, we send them different trial opportunities in their area for their condition. So they can reach out to the most convenient one or one that they will fit the, the eligibility criteria for. So those are, are some of the methods that we use. Uh, of course, we're developing uh, newer and newer methods as well that can be more customized for patients. So that way we understand the specific point that they're in in terms of their understanding uh, about their condition and clinical research and then educate them progressively forward. So uh, there's a lot of uh, neat technology that we're utilizing for that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love the online support and, and explaining uh, different conditions um, to the patient in terms of like emailing them um, and just to get them, like you said, aware, because that's the main word here is awareness for clinical trials, I think. So that's super important. Um, and wherever I go, I always think to myself, oh, you know, does that patient 
is that a patient that would ever participate if I see someone using like an inhaler? That's always in my mind, I think, because I always have respiratory studies. So I'm always thinking oh, that would be a, an excellent candidate um, for my asthma study, but I have to be mindful. I can't go approach that person, but I'm always thinking, I wonder if they know about it. So it is one thing that we've got to get the community and the people um, aware of clinical trials. That's our goal. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, well, I, I think we covered a lot of uh, good points uh, on this first session together. Um, I don't know if you have any other questions for me or any finishing thoughts that you'd like to add for our listeners. The only thing I would say is make sure everyone takes um, time to spread awareness for all clinical trials. Um, we only can be as successful as the patients that we get enrolled. I agree. I agree. Great point to finish off with. Well, Heather, thank you for uh, joining me on this session. And uh, I want to let the audience know there's going to be any, many more great sessions that they can attend and listen to. So stay tuned uh, and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, whether you're on iTunes or you're on your Android phone or even online, we'll have 